Hello everyone, hope you are doing well. As many of you know, uh, we were set to have a regular Sunday morning gathering uh, yesterday morning. I'm recording this on a Monday, uh, but our building is currently under construction and has no heat. So it was in the 40s uh, on a couple of our floors and in our kids' areas, and we ended up canceling our Sunday morning gathering yesterday. And so I decided to go ahead and record a podcast with some thoughts on John chapter 13, picking up in verse 31. And uh, for context, if you remember from last Sunday when we were gathered in person, Jesus is having his final meal with his disciples. They're just sitting down to this meal, and John records a long discourse uh, and that Jesus is going to have with his disciples. But uh, Judas has just got up and left the meal and gone out to betray Jesus. And we talked about that last Sunday. And then we read verse 31, where it says, When he, when Judas was gone, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered him, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Let's pray. Jesus, we invite you here, Lord, to um, speak to us wherever we're at, listening to this podcast on the commute or uh, juggling children or at the gym or whatever it might be. Uh, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and that you would uh, remind us of the story that we're living in, of the love that you have for us, uh, of the way we are to spend our hours and our days as we follow after you in the here and now. In Jesus' name, amen. As Jesus sits down to his final meal with his disciples, he explains to them that the time has come for him to be glorified. Now, typically, when we think of God's glory, uh, or even when a first century Jewish person thought of God's glory, it most likely evoked uh, images of sort of a, a stunning and obvious uh, victory or manifestation of God's glory. It's uh, two million Israelite slaves marching out of Egypt in full sight of the Egyptians as one of the mightiest empires on earth is laid waste. Uh, it's the unveiled presence of God passing before Moses in 
glory. It's Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration glowing with light as his true nature is revealed. Uh, It was thought that it would be a Romans being crushed and obliterated as the people of God were freed once again. That, in their minds, would have been an obvious sign of God's glory. So as Jesus says, hey, I'm going to be glorified, uh, likely the images uh, that would have rushed to mind would have been uh, maybe varied between the disciples, but had been in a similar uh, vein or line of thinking. But in this case, Jesus will actually be glorified through crucifixion which was the last thing on any of their minds. Uh, The glory that he speaks of is actually the moment when he conquers Satan, sin, and death. It's where our sin and shame are laid on Jesus, where the great human problem and, and the great enemies of humanity are conquered and God's victory is made plain to the world. Uh, The cross, in all of its shame, is actually the glory of God, uh, the victory of God, the heart of God, the wisdom of God, the power of God, on display for the world to see. And of course, there's eternal implications that come with that. It was through cross and resurrection that the glory of God shone out to the world and the doors of eternity were swung open uh, for us. Uh, I will be glorified, Jesus said, and God will be glorified in me. But what the disciples didn't grasp is the incredible cost uh, that, 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 that would be associated with that glorification. He says, it's, it's going to cost me my life. I must go through the cross and resurrection before I'm exalted to the right hand of the Father. And where I'm going, you cannot come. We're about to be separated. These are his final words and instructions and encouragement to his disciples. He says, we're about to be separated. It's going to happen within a matter of hours. Uh, I'm going to eventually be there in that place, and you are going to remain here. You have followed me right at my side, almost uh, in my shadow for years. You've followed me up to this point, but things are about to change. There will be uh, a new and unique type of uh, nearness and, and intimacy between us, but also unique type of distance that you haven't experienced yet. Uh, and, and as Peter's hearing this, he's taking this all in and he's indignant. He's just thinking, no, that doesn't make sense. Where could you possibly go that we couldn't follow you? We will follow you anywhere. I would follow you into any battle. I would follow you into death. Even if everyone else on earth abandons you, I will be with you to the bitter end. And it's in this context uh, that Jesus turns to Peter and points out, actually, Peter, you're not as strong as you think you are. You're not as solid as you think you are. You're like everyone else. You're filled with human weakness and human frailty. In fact, before the sun rises and things get going tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to disown me in front of others. And I can just imagine the the shock and the discomfort uh, and, and even the pain that Peter must have felt in this moment. 
Here, Jesus has just announced that one uh, of the 12 is going to betray him. Peter is so upset by that announcement that he presses the issue. He's eager to know who could possibly do such a thing, who could possibly betray Jesus. None of the 12 would contemplate something like that. We're all with you to the death, and me more than anyone. And, And then comes the disappointing reality. No, Peter, actually, you're not. You will not follow me to that place, at least not yet. In fact, those of you who know the scriptures and a bit of church history know that Peter uh, does deny Jesus three times that very night, just as Jesus predicted. But you also know that Peter's denial is not the end of the story. After the resurrection, Jesus comes to Peter again. And when Peter sees him from a distance, rather than running away or hiding in shame, Peter actually dives off of the boat that he's on and swims to the shore and runs to Jesus. And there's this beautiful moment where Jesus restores Peter three times, echoing his three denials and commissions him to lead lead the church. Uh, Peter goes on to live the type of life that Jesus lived. He speaks boldly, proclaiming the gospel to the very people who put Jesus to death. He stands in front of that same uh, group of uh, religious leaders without fear and boldly proclaims the gospel and tells them what they've done to Jesus. And he goes out from there. He speaks openly about Jesus and the kingdom of God. He sees thousands of people baptized. He sees the sick healed and dead people raised to life. Uh, From that moment forward, Peter lives an incredible life. He even dies in the end the way that Jesus dies. Uh, At the end of Peter's life, he is crucified But because he felt he was unworthy to die the same type of death that Jesus died, he requested that he be crucified upside down, and he was. So Peter goes from this impulsive, passionate, unstable disciple to this unshakable man who leads the first century church with boldness and peace and who ultimately gives his life for others uh, and is crucified. For following Jesus. And Jesus knows this is coming. Uh, He hints at it at different times, uh, even after the resurrection. And even in the verses we read this morning, uh, Jesus says to Peter, he says, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later, which I think is sort of a nod to Peter's future. He says, you'll follow me to the death, but not yet. You're not prepared for that yet. Someday you will be, uh, but, but you're not ready yet. In fact, in Luke's account of this same moment in this same meal, uh, Jesus says to Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, this is Luke 22, verse 31. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. In, uh, in other words, Satan has asked to come through and test you. But I've prayed for you, Simon that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And and I love that language or just that acknowledgement in the moment. Jesus says, like, I I prayed for you. I'm praying that you won't fail. But when you turn back, 
In other words, you will fall away. But when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. You will falter tonight. But when you have come back and been recommissioned, I want you to strengthen your brothers out of your newly renewed faith. So he's saying, I'm going to uh, redeem you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to recommission you after you've fallen away. And then you're going to go out and you're going to do the same thing for others. I'm going to die for you, and then you're going to die for others. I'm going to love you in all of your imperfection, and then you're going to love others in all of their imperfection. Uh, This is the heart of the life of discipleship. It doesn't run off of our willpower or our good intentions. Uh, That won't work. You can see that in the life of Peter. You can have great ideas and tons of passion and tons of willpower and have all of these thoughts about this is what I'm going to do. But if you're doing it in the power of the flesh, uh, in your own strength, it's going to fail. Instead, Jesus is pointing us to another type of life. He says we start by receiving grace, by receiving God's love, by being strengthened in our inner being, by being encouraged and having the truth spoken over us by Jesus. And then out of that, we go into the world to share Jesus with others. In fact, right in the middle of this um, fascinating narrative about his glory and his death and the place that he's going and how Peter can't follow him and is going to fall away, right in the middle of it, Jesus says this, And it almost feels like a footnote or an aside. He just says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And the reason I say that it sort of feels like a footnote is you could almost uh, edit it out of the passage and the passage would flow better. Jesus is just talking about, this is my, I'm going to be glorified. Here's where I'm going. You won't be able to follow me. He gives this command about being loved and loving others. And it's almost like Peter can't even hear it. He just skips right by it and just says, wait, wait, what are you talking about? Where are you going? What is this about? Uh, and But this this single command that almost feels like an aside is actually very important. And it actually speaks, I think, to Peter and his story and his condition. Uh, Scholars have actually pointed out that this new command that Jesus uh, gives in John 13 is actually the only moral directive in the entire gospel of John. There's 21 chapters of what I think is some of Uh, the most compelling and engaging writing in all of the New Testament. John covers years of Jesus' ministry. He captures lengthy conversations between Jesus and his disciples. And this is it. Two verses, one command. Uh, This is the only command uh, in the Gospel of John. He says, love others as I have loved you. That's it. It's reminiscent of love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's the whole thing. This is what I'm calling you to. There, it's as if John's saying there is nothing else. 
And so we see uh, this pattern in Scripture, and in particularly in this passage in the book of in in the in the Gospel of John, where in Scripture the call, the command, is first off to see and receive God's love. You see and receive God's love for you. You be you you become that type of person shaped by that love, and then sort of uh, step two is that you love other people with that same type of love that you've received. And notice uh, how that uh, is is similar to what the culture is saying, but also incredibly different. Uh, the secular culture that we live in has a truncated version of that. It simply says, love other people. But notice how uh, the script, the call of scripture differs from the secular narrative. So, so secular culture is just saying, hey, love other people, but with no view of God. And this actually causes all sorts of problems within that framework. First off, uh, without God, we don't even know what love means. What does it mean to love people? Press a little deeper into that. Well, culture says, I think it has something to do with tolerance or acceptance or just letting people do their thing. I think that's just sort of what we mean when we say to love other people. Uh, it's, it kind of comes across as something that is bland, but with positive vibes. We don't even truly know what we're talking about. So within the secular frame, our first problem is that we don't know what love is, but our second problem is that we lack the power to carry it out, especially for sustained periods of time. So this concept of love is foggy in our minds, uh, but even when we have clarity on the secular side, what we're aiming for is shallow. It's more like acceptance uh, and and we lack the power to even live out the shallow versions of love that we've created in our secularism. Just this last week, uh, my wife and I watched one of our friends' uh, marriages uh, start to implode and break down. And it's so heartbreaking to kind of be around and walk alongside people as they're experiencing that, especially in this particular case, neither spouse knows Jesus or is walking with Jesus. And in that, when we're in that position, it's hard for us to even know what to do or what to say. You can't go to people who don't know Jesus and say, no, just stick it out, stick with it, love your spouse. Uh, because first off, there's confusion as to what love is. <laughs> What are you asking me to do? And secondly, because they lack the power to carry it out, even if that's what they wanted in their minds. This is, this is Peter at the Last Supper saying, no, this is what I want, Jesus. This is what I've determined to do. I will die with you. And Jesus can turn and, and, and say, man, like, Peter, no, you won't. Because you're not filled with the Spirit. You're not being filled and transformed by God's grace and God's love. You aren't a new creation. You're not in relationship with the resurrected Jesus. And therefore, you have nothing to draw from. Uh, what's going to fuel that type of life? 
well, it's not good intentions or good ideas or secular self-help books, which is all that our culture has to offer. And it's just not enough. It will fail. In fact, in a sad and ironic twist, the secular voices that are the loudest right now, that are preaching love and tolerance and acceptance, have already failed to be loving and tolerant and accepting. More often than not, the strongest, loudest cultural voices are angry and disgruntled and toxic. And and they're tolerant and accepting, but they're only tolerant and accepting of a very narrow class of people who look and act and think just like they do. Uh, In a sense, we have these modern day Pharisees uh, and, and it is a movement that is doomed to fail because it's not fueled by the love and truth and grace and power of God. Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And this is the piece our culture is missing. We have this cultural attitude of, ah, oh, you don't need God to love other people. And, and I would counter, yes, you do. You absolutely do. And history proves it. You will not know what love is apart from God, and you will not have the power to live it out apart from God. And I think this is our great call as disciples of Jesus, and it was Peter's great problem. You can almost compare and contrast early Peter, who is um, honestly a bit worldly in his thinking, who um, tries to do and be things in his own strength, on his own steam. And then you have post-resurrection Peter, who's encountered the resurrected Jesus. He's encountered the radical grace and love of God over his failure. And he's been filled with the Spirit of God. And as a result, everything changes He's able to lay down his life in strengthening his brothers. He's able to love like never before. There is a whole new type of life that is available to Peter and to us because of what Jesus has done on the other side of the cross and resurrection. And this was true in my life as well. You can see it uh, in varying ways in people inside and outside of the church. Uh, you can see it in the life of Peter. But this was true for me. Uh, I grew up in what I would describe as a stable, loving, atheist home. Uh, I was well-loved by my parents. I was able to form strong relationships with others. And I was generally a loving person, but not in a sustainable way. In other words, uh, my life and my love did not resemble Jesus in the gospel in any true sense, and it was bound to slowly fade as I grew older and life became more and more about me. Uh, I was the type of person who would have caved to worldly pressure and denied Jesus three times, uh, easily. That was, that was who I was. But when Jesus rescued me into the kingdom of God, I encountered the resurrected Jesus. I encountered the love and grace of God over my failure and my life of sin. And I was filled with the spirit of God. And as a result, just like Peter, everything changed. Now, 
I can see and know what love is, what it actually looks like, and have the power to live that out, to go and strengthen my brothers and sisters around me, to stand resiliently and fearlessly in front of forces that would have crippled me in my atheism. Uh, But it starts with encountering the love of God, walking with the resurrected Jesus, being filled with the Spirit of God, and then extending that same love to brothers and sisters around you. So, uh, two questions to contemplate uh, as we close out here. Uh, First off, what does it look like for you to see and receive God's love? What are things that you uh, do in your life? What are times of pl- and places in your past? What are ways that you can structure your days and hours to be the type of person who can actively see and receive God's love? And there's many ways that we could go about answering uh, that question. It has to do with your, your lifestyle, what you're focused on, it has to do with the posture of your heart, the way you structure your days, uh, maybe things, wounds that you carry or doubts that you're wrestling with that are keeping you from actively seeing and receiving God's love. But this is our first uh, step as followers of Jesus. It's to, it's to stay in the love of God, to stay in the grace of God. So question number one, what does it look like for you to see and receive God's love? Is there anything in your life, uh, whether that's uh, a father wound or uh, busyness or anger or resentment or stress or whatever it might be, uh, a feeling of unworthiness, a lie that you're carrying, is there anything in your life that's holding you back from just seeing and receiving and enjoying God's love in this season. We have to to wrestle with that as followers of Jesus. Am I the type of disciple who's actively walking with the resurrected Jesus, who's enjoying the grace of God and receiving his love? And then uh, the second question is sort of the second part of this uh, invitation, this command that Jesus gives us. The second part is, what does it look like for you to love other people with that same type of love in visible, practical ways? So what does it look like for you to love your brothers and sisters in ways that they can see, that they can receive, and that they can understand? So as you uh, go about your day-to-day, I'd encourage you to just sort of hold those questions before the Lord. God, what does it look like for me to receive, uh, to, to see and receive your love and your grace today in this moment? Are there things that are holding me back from that? Things I need to identify and call out, sin that I've committed, sin that's been done to me, uh, the busyness and, and chaos of life. God, what is inhibiting me from receiving more of you? And then, in the same breath, God, what is it going to look like for me to love other people, in particular my brothers and sisters, with that same type of love in a way that they see and grasp and understand? So I'd invite you to take some time, even now if you can, and sit for a few minutes with those questions, uh, and then uh, go out from there. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll end. 
Jesus, thank you for this new command that you've given us, this, uh, this concept, this reality that I believe changed Peter's life, that you would say, as I have loved you, then you go out and, and love others out of that place. Uh, thank you, Lord, that uh, John saw fit that this was enough, that this was the, the only uh, commands, imperative, directive, in the entire gospel, and yet, as we see from John's other writings and other letters, uh, he clearly believed that was enough, that it captured your heart, uh, the beating heart of discipleship, that we would be strengthened by you in our inner being and go out in the, in the power of your restoration and strengthen our brothers and sisters. And so as we go about our day-to-day Uh, Lord, whatever it is that we're doing, whatever it holds, I pray that our awareness would be turned toward you, that we would be um, growing in our ability to receive your grace and love, that you would strengthen our inner beings, and that we would grow in our ability uh, to express that love in visible, tangible ways, that we would uh, go out and strengthen our brothers and sisters in your power and in your name. Amen.